This Can He Do That podcast is presented with support by the Cato Institute Daily Podcast. Listen and subscribe at cato.org slash podcast. Also available on iTunes and Google Play. On Sunday, Politico first reported that President Trump's son-in-law and top advisor Jared Kushner had used private email to conduct official White House business. Since then, New York Times reporting has revealed that the use of private email wasn't limited to Kushner, but actually involved as many as six of Trump's once closest advisors. That includes former chief strategist Steve Bannon and former White House chief of staff Reince Priebus. Now, the news led to some very obvious comparisons to one of the biggest stories from the 2016 election. You remember it, the investigation into Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server. So how do the latest actions by Trump's advisors compare to Clinton's? What are the actual laws surrounding the use of private email? And how does this development affect or not special prosecutor Robert Mueller's investigation into the Trump campaign's ties to Russia? This is Can He Do That?, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. Today on the show, we'll talk to former White House Staff Secretary and current global security and data lawyer Raj Day. Raj explains the laws surrounding White House communications. But first, we have Rosalind Helderman here on the show. Rosalind is a national reporter here at The Post. She covers political investigations and spent a lot of time in 2016 covering the Hillary Clinton email investigation. Roz, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So the use of private email has emerged in the news this week again. What did you and your colleagues report about some Trump administration officials and their use of private email? Sure. We reported that Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and a top advisor, used a private email account after joining the White House for some communication with some White House aides, an account that he had created just in December, a brand new account, as opposed to using his government account. His lawyers say that he sort of sent and received fewer than 100 emails, so we're talking about a small pool of emails. But he did use it, and we now understand that he was not the only one. Steve Bannon, Reince Priebus, Gary Cohn, Ivanka Trump, they were all using private personal email to conduct government business for at least some portion of the time after joining the White House. And for in all of those cases, were they new email addresses created recently? No. Our understanding is that Jared Kushner and his wife, Ivanka Trump, created a new, uh, new account in December as they prepared to transition out of their old lives in the real estate industry and into government service. The others, our best understanding is uh, we're using Gmail accounts or other, other private accounts that were pre-existing and that they have been using for some number of years. So can you tell me a little bit about how this development relates to Special Prosecutor Mueller's investigation? Sure. I think it's worth noting that a prosecutor can use a subpoena or a search warrant to get anything he wants. Using a private email account does not put correspondence outside of the reach of a federal prosecutor. They have very sweeping powers to request documents related to their inquiries. That said, Everyone needs to know that it exists, including lawyers for the people. The people themselves have to remember that they used private email. There is always the possibility that people might search their public accounts and forget about some emails or 
purposely leave them aside and not include them in response to subpoenas. But I do think that the notion that this puts it outside of some email outside of Mueller's reach is is not correct. He can get pretty much anything he wants. Interesting. So in this case, is Mueller the reason why we're finding out about these emails now? Is that the reason why we now know that these hundred emails exist? So the story was first reported by Politico. And so my insight into how their tips began on this is limited. I think that's possible. When the Hillary Clinton email was first publicly revealed, that came because Congress had requested emails from the State Department as part of its Benghazi investigation, and various parties within Congress, within uh, the State Department world, within Clinton world, sort of discovered as they were preparing those documents that her email address would be revealed and that it was a personal email account. And so that was the chain of events that led it to becoming public. And I think it's certainly possible that a similar thing occurred here. We are also now in a moment where there are groups of people compiling thousands of emails to go to the Hill in response to inquiries for the Hill's Russia investigation as well as to Mueller. And so someone out there saw an email and realized that there was a personal account that would be revealed and decided that now would be a good time to make that public. Can we expect that at some point all of these emails will be made public? I would not necessarily think that we should expect that. The rules about public records work differently for the State Department, where the Freedom of Information Act applies, and the White House, where records are intended to eventually become public once they enter the National Archives after the conclusion of a term, but cannot necessarily be requested in real time. So I amend what I said a little bit. I would expect that someday they will be made public in the archives, but I wouldn't expect us to receive them. Them, as we did with Hillary Clinton's emails, where there was a decision made to respond to Freedom of Information Act requests and release them quite quickly to the public. Uh, uh, people may remember they were released in monthly batches uh, over the course of about a year. I'm sure you remember. I a lot remember of time. <laughs> it very well. To learn more about how communication works inside the White House and to better understand the laws and the protocol surrounding email records, we talked to Raj Day. Raj is currently the chair of Mayor Brown's global security and data privacy practice, and he has a long list of other credentials, including White House staff secretary under President Obama and former general counsel for the NSA. We went to his downtown D.C. office to talk to him. Here's Raj. Okay, so in recent history, before email, how did we pass both classified information and unclassified information within the White House? How did we communicate? Well, firstly, it's hard to remember before we had email, (laughs) but um, there were lots of different means. So firstly, of course, paper. And there was a surprising amount of hard paper, particularly when it came to classified information, as a means of transmission. And literally, if you were walking from the White House to somewhere outside of the White House, You'd have a courier bag, which is an official lock bag that had all sorts of security around it, and that's how you'd carry classified information. There were other means as well, including, of course, faxes in more recent times and phone to transmit information. And on the classified side, there are classified systems to transmit faxes and have phone calls, but they were very cumbersome, far more cumbersome than email. And of course, today, not only do we have email, but we have secure video conferences, which are perhaps the most used means. Think of your image of the Situation Room with lots of different folks up on screens 
talking about classified information, and those are secure video conferences. Yeah, so based on your experience in the White House, sending emails, knowing where, when to use personal emails, when to use private emails, is that something that is, is well understood, is intuitive? What, what's that like? Well, it certainly should be intuitive, but it's it can be cumbersome. I picture my desk in the West Wing as the staff secretary. I literally had three computers and three or four screens up at a given time. One was an unclassified network. One was a network that went up to secret information, and one was a top-secret network. And then I also had my personal phone sort of right outside my office, which was a facility for classified information, so you have to keep your personal phone outside. So that's right there, and that's pretty simple. That's four different communication systems being used on a minute-by-minute basis. So what we've seen in the news this week is that at least six of Trump's advisors have used private email to discuss White House matters. Is this something that actually violates the law, using your personal email to talk about White House business? Well, I think if we're thinking of what the rule sets are for communicating when you're in government, there's probably two major types of rule sets to keep in mind here. One is doing things through official means so that you don't violate laws that apply to federal records. And the second is doing things in the proper way if it's classified information. So in the first bucket, there are laws like the Presidential Records Act, like the Federal Records Act, that apply to record-keeping requirements, including communications for government officials, classified or unclassified. In terms of classified information, there's a whole set of rules about the proper ways to transmit that. Those are the two primary legal regimes to keep in mind. And then, of course, in the context of any particular investigation, there's always consideration as to whether certain means of communication were used to hide or shade certain communications. And that would raise, if that were true, a whole host of other questions under obstruction of justice, impeding an investigation, if any of that was relevant. So the process that should happen if you receive an email to your personal email that seems work-related or could be related to White House matters is to go ahead and forward it to your White House email. And that is in accordance with the Presidential Records Act. That's to preserve that information? Yes, you need to get it into the system, so to speak, whether that's forwarding it or responding and copying your work email so that the chain is part of the, the formal system. And it's important for the government to have a record of those emails and that business for, for what reason? It's important for a few different reasons. One is accountability of federal officials, and the second is transparency of our government. So the, the question of preservation and the question of, of making things public are two separate issues, but if things aren't properly preserved, in some senses, people are preempting that second decision. If it's not saved, you can never make it public. And so that, to a certain extent, can shortcut a lot of the rules, like these rules I just mentioned, that are intended to foster greater transparency and greater accountability in the government. So for the the White House officials who did not do this, as has been reported over the past week, is it is it something that can be attributed to just a novice administration who didn't necessarily know that this was the way that they should behave with email, or is it sort of greater than that? Well, there's nothing about government that's intuitive, by and large, yeah. but it's hard for me to imagine a scenario under which any member of the public now doesn't get that if you're a government official, particularly a senior government official, you should be using government email. I, I mean, we've had the controversy with Karl Rove in the two administrations ago, then of course the election controversy over Secretary Clinton and the private server. So with such a long history of the issue of using private emails and the publicity of that issue in the last election cycle, I'd be hard pressed to say folks at least shouldn't have a general awareness 
of using official email. Right. So until we really know the context of what was act in these emails, the content rather of what was in these emails, we may not know what potential laws were violated beyond possibly the Presidential Records Act. Yes. And unfortunately, the line between classified and unclassified isn't always as obvious to folks who haven't worked in the intelligence or defense or national security community. So there can be information that seems innocuous or one wouldn't necessarily think should be classified, but could well be so if they related to sensitive negotiations in a diplomatic situation, for example. Does that kind of thing hold up in a court of law, sort of naivete as a defense? I don't know if naivete does, but (laughs) generally most at least criminal statutes have a mens rea requirement. In other words, there has to be some knowing violation of a law or knowing conduct uh, and so perhaps an unawareness of, of particular activities could play into an argument that there was a lack of knowing criminal conduct. This Can He Do That podcast is presented with support by the Cato Institute Daily Podcast. For over a decade, Cato's Daily Podcast has offered engaging and thought-provoking programs, whether it's on foreign policy, free speech, or healthcare, civil liberties, trade, or the war on terror, every podcast offers the voices of experience, a new way of seeing. Cato's Daily Podcast is available at cato.org podcast, as well as on iTunes and Google Play. Okay, Rosalind, let's talk about the very obvious comparison here. How does the Hillary Clinton email investigation and her use of a private email server compare to what we're seeing now with this private email use from from Trump advisors? Sure. I mean, I think you can talk about FOIA and the Records Preservation Act and all sorts of sort of legal standards. But I think that what makes this story most interesting is sort of the hypocrisy angle of how many times we heard from the Trump campaign, from Donald Trump himself, from some other people in Trump's world about, uh, you know, what an egregious error it had been of Hillary Clinton to use a private email account. And now to learn they are doing the same thing is surprising, to say the least. There are some differences. First of all, we know that Hillary Clinton exclusively used a private account. It wasn't that she toggled back and forth and occasionally used a personal account. She declined to have a government account issued to her and only used this personal account. Now, there were other people in her world, notably Huma Abedin, one of her top aides, who is more parallel. She used a private email account on Hillary Clinton's server and also a government account. And uh, certainly the Republicans didn't seem to think that was okay when it came to Ms. Abedin. So, so that's one point of comparison. Hillary Clinton had the server, which she set up. Our understanding is that each of these people in the Trump White House have used commercial email services of some kind. That's a difference. It means that the security of the system was in the hands of Hillary Clinton and her people. On the other hand, with a commercial service provider, the security is in the hands of that company. So in either instance, it's not in the hands of the government, which is where most people believe it should be. Not that the government has done an incredibly good job of keeping government email secure either. The final thing I would say is that there's the question of classified material. What actually sparked the FBI investigation for Hillary Clinton was the discovery of material that people concluded was too secure to be shared in unclassified normal email. 
And so there was an investigation into whether setting up this uh, email system sort of irresponsibly led to the spilling of classified information. We have been told that no classified information was shared on private email accounts of the Trump White House aides. That's good to hear their assurances of that. Of course, that's also what people in the Clinton world said when her email was first revealed. And it was only over time when her email was being reviewed to be released as part of public information requests that reviewers decided they should not be releasing publicly some information in the email because they felt as though it was it reflected material, substantive material that was in fact classified. That process is unlikely to occur with these emails. So we may never know whether in fact that parallel really in fact does exist. In the Clinton case, one of the things they always said was there was no email that was marked classified. And I assume that's true here, too, that no one was sloppy enough to actually take a document that was marked classified and forward it through these private email accounts. But that was never the issue with the Hillary email either. What the issue was, did someone attend a briefing where they were given classified information and then write an email about that briefing? Essentially, did they put information that was too sensitive for regular old email that should have been shared only in the specialized classified systems of the State Department? Did they put it into normal email and then did it end up on Hillary Clinton's server because it got sent to her? Okay, so pivoting back to Kushner for a second, how does this contribute to Jared Kushner's overall narrative here? He's somebody who's facing some legal challenges. Does this, the fact that he took these steps, harm him in any way in this investigation? I'm not sure, to be honest. Certainly there has been a lot of attention on whether Jared Kushner has been careful with his paperwork, whether he has been fully open, whether he has been fully transparent. The fact that other top aides were doing the same makes it feel a little bit more like there was sloppiness in communications and uh, not enough attention given to how they were going to communicate with one another and how they were going to use email once they entered the White House. So we're seeing these actions from Trump's closest advisors, but not necessarily from Trump himself. Why is Trump himself not involved? Yeah, that's an interesting point, and it's an interesting point of comparison, because one of the reasons why it matters so much for Clinton is that it wasn't just her top aides. It was Hillary Clinton herself. But the reason we don't see this with Trump, and it's not even a question, is Trump has this longstanding personal policy to not use email. He does not use it. He has aides sometimes or a longtime secretary who people can email and she'll pass along messages to him. But he doesn't use email, personal account, government account, nothing. President Obama had an email account. We know about that. He famously carried a BlackBerry and would email people in a very secure manner. But Donald Trump does not. It's one of the things that has frustrated many lawsuits against Donald Trump, that he never communicates an email that can be produced in discovery, and uh, it's a relevant point here. So he doesn't communicate an email as a matter of protecting himself more than anything, or does he just not like the medium? I don't know that we entirely know that. My guess would be it is some of both. Yeah. Too much time on Twitter, I suppose. Right. (laughs) All right. So let's boil this down to the final question. Can Trump's closest advisors working in the White House use private email? And we've laid out essentially here three categories to assess whether or not private email usage is acceptable or unacceptable. One, does it mean that these records are not being preserved correctly? Is classified information being shared across private email? And lastly, is private email being used to obstruct an investigation, a.k.a. 
Are they using private email to hide something? So from what we know so far, it doesn't seem like Kushner's actions have yet clearly violated any of these things. So assuming all of that to be true, can Trump's closest advisors in the White House use private email without consequence? They can use private email. I think, as we've seen in the last week, there will be some political consequence. All right. Roz, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. You guys can follow Rosalind Helderman on Twitter at PostRoz. Or you guys can follow me, Allison Michaels, at Allison Mikes. You guys have been listening to another episode of Can He Do That? If you liked this, you are going to love our live show. That's right. We are having a live taping of this Washington Post podcast one year after the historic election night that got Donald Trump elected. That's November 7th at the Warner Theater. You guys will be able to join me and my guests, legendary reporter Bob Woodward, 2017 Pulitzer Prize winner David Farenthold, and national political reporter Karen Tumulty for a night where we look back on the biggest Can He Do That moments of the year. Don't miss your chance to grab tickets at the Warner Theater November 7th. You can grab them at wapo.st slash can he do that. do that is a team effort here at the post it's produced by the charismatic carol alderman with design help from kat rudell brooks and logo art from loren Boglio. hi there my name is Alyssa Rosenberg, and I write a column about culture and politics for the opinion section of the Washington Post. I'm also the host of a new podcast miniseries called The American War. It's a guide to Ken Burns' new documentary, The Vietnam War, but it's also a deep dive on the biggest issues from that conflict that linger with us 50 years later. We'll discuss each episode as it airs with Ken, his co-director Lynn Novick, and many of the other voices featured in the film. Join me for this conversation on how America lost its way in Vietnam, and how Ken and Lynn are trying to help us find our way back. You can find The American War wherever you listen to podcasts and online at washingtonpost.com slash The American War. Thanks for listening. The Washington Washington, Washington, Washington Post. Post.